Let's have a quick word of prayer and we'll get going. Lord God, you bless us and strengthen us and are present with us in every moment of life, even when we feel weak and tired and alone. You are the one who upholds all of creation because you made it from out of your love, out of your power, out of your amazing will and capability. And you made us to live within it and to know you. You have given us yourself in your son and in the presence of your spirit. You have given us your inspiration and your truth in the words of scripture and the way that the spirit interprets those to us. You have given us the community of faith to help nurture and strengthen and encourage us. So we remember those things as we come together yet again, this first time in this new year as this group of people, thanking you for having brought us this far and looking forward into the future with hope and with confidence, not in ourselves, but in you. So be with us now as we open our hearts and minds and souls to your word again in the power and presence of Jesus. Amen. Okay, Happy New Year. How many of you are ecstatically delirious right now? Yeah. <laughs> A couple of things we need to mention as we get going. Uh, I think Terry Dixon, our, our, uh, our fearless leader, is uh, away for a few days. Lots of folks still are kind of away for the holidays, if you will. Uh, Terry will be back next week. Um, no big announcements of anything that's coming up per se, partly because we're in that, uh, that quieter period after the Christmas holiday season, which is just fine. I will mention one thing, uh, and that is to note uh, that one of our longtime uh, women's Bible study uh, members, attendees, Harriet Baldwin, uh, yesterday afternoon at about 1.15, uh, went to be home with the Lord. Uh, I had seen Harriet on uh, Saturday evening and was with the family again yesterday. And uh, Harriet had turned 99 back in October. I think we signed a card for her. I know a lot of us sent cards uh, and it was her time to go. So um, I like to think of Harriet sort of as our own uh, village church version of Betty White. Uh, <laughs> because Harriet was always positive, always looking forward, uh, just an, an amazing person and so we're celebrating uh, her great life. There'll be a memorial service planned for several months from now probably but keep uh, keep Harriet's two daughters and her caregivers who were with her for a long time and all the rest of the family in your prayers. So we are going to um, talking about Bible study, we're going to um, take a break from Luke for the next several weeks and we are going to look at the Old Testament prophet Micah. Uh, one of the reasons to do this is because um, I have learned over the years that when you've been slugging through a long book like Luke is uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks, sometimes it seems to get a little bit repetitive, a little bit boring. I, I don't know what that is, uh, but it's true for all of us. It's even true for me. And so this will be a little bit of break to go to something entirely different. And then we will come back to Luke and we will finish off Luke and then we will actually end our year uh, by looking at another one of the uh, what are called the minor prophets uh, in the Old Testament. We'll talk about that a bit more. But as we start into Micah, let me just say a couple words about Micah. Micah is one of those biblical books because especially of a couple of, of sections in Micah. Micah is one of those biblical books that gets lots of airtime, lots of coverage. 
Uh, Micah is the one who gives us that very, very famous passage that I'm sure all of you have heard. What does the Lord require of us but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God? And that is often quoted. Um, just I, This is all in your notes. Everything I'm going to say pretty much is going to be in your notes. In Jimmy Carter's inauguration back in 1977, seems like forever ago now, but Jimmy Carter quoted from Micah 6.8 in his inauguration speech. The Soviet Union, you remember the Soviet Union? <laughs> yeah, the Soviet Union in 1959, just three years after this church was chartered, uh, gave a, a sculpture to the United Nations and quoted from Micah 4.3 and Isaiah 2.4 on that sculpture. Phillips Brooks uh, the great Boston pastor who wrote the text of O Little Town of Bethlehem, Phillips Brooks quoted from Micah. And so those are just a few examples of how this little short book of seven chapters from the Old Testament has had a profound impact on the spirituality of the world, if you will, especially, of course, the Christian world. Now, we call Micah a minor prophet. You might encounter that sometime in your own study and your reading. The 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament, folks like Micah and Amos and, and uh, Hosea uh, and, and Habakkuk and some of those, they're all called the minor prophets. And when you and I hear that word minor, we think of the minor leagues, not quite ready yet for the big leagues, right? <laughs> or we think of something small and insignificant, right? But that is not why we call them the minor prophets. I wish they would actually change the designation. The reason that Micah is called a minor prophet is exactly one thing, and that's that he was concise, brief, and short. Okay, so I have a personal interest in, my, in Micah not being called minor because he's short. There is nothing at all minor about Micah's impact, about Micah's theology, about the message that, that, that he brings to us in his prophecy or its place in the scriptures. The reason that Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel are called sometimes the major prophets is just because they're long books, okay? So that's the only reason that Micah is called minor. I actually like the minor prophets because you can actually study the whole book and get the whole message in your mind without spending 82 years doing it like you have to through Isaiah and Ezekiel and some of the others. So like all of the Old Testament prophets, there are some major theological themes, major messages to us that are very consistent with all the other Old Testament prophets. Micah wants to talk about justice. He wants to talk about the righteousness of God and how it is that people can live together in the way that God wants us to live together, in the way that God made us to live together. That's what justice is all about. Micah wants to talk about peace, not just peace in terms of we've signed a peace treaty to stop shooting each other, but peace in the biblical sense, that peace is the, the wholeness and wellness of being and, and complete and total perfection of life, again, as God means for it to, to be in our lives. Micah wants to talk about the Messiah. Micah wants to talk about God coming to earth in a very unmistakable, very powerful, very evident and public way 
to restore the community of the world back to what God means for it to be. And that takes us into conversation about the Messiah. And so all of those things we're going to find in Micah. And in that way, Micah really is a great thing to look at right after Christmas, right after we've celebrated the birth of the Messiah into the world. We're going to go back now about 750 years before Jesus is actually born and get into the mindset, get into the culture, the politics, the theology, what's going on in the people of God and in the history of Israel that led up to the, the gift of Jesus into the world. Does that all make sense to you? So I hope you were excited about studying through Micah. Let's read just the first verse of Micah because that gives us some important information. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morasheth in the days of kings Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Okay. I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I start reading in scripture, I read a passage like that, and I, I kind of automatically just skip over it. It's like, okay, well, I'm reading Micah. I know I'm reading Micah. That's what it says at the top of the page, that this is the book of the Micah, right? And, 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 he, and he had the word of the Lord. That's why he's a prophet. He had the word of God. Let's keep on moving. However, however, there's an awful lot of important information just in that first line for us, okay? Let's unpack some of that. Just the name Micah itself. Does anybody here have a, a friend or an acquaintance that you know named Micah? Anybody here? Yeah, yeah. Micah used to be a very popular name uh, in the Western world, and you find a lot of older people named Micah. But the name Micah is actually uh, kind of an abbreviation of a Hebrew word, Makayahu. And that word Makayahu means who is like Yahweh, who is like God. Okay? That's an important question because later on Micah is going to use that phrase, who is like God? Who is Micaiah who? And when he asks that question, he's trying to get us to focus on the true God, on the God of Israel, on the God that, that was named with a name that you should never say, that we say all the time now, of course, Yahweh, right? Micah's going to hold up the one true God over against all the false gods. That's one of the big issues in Israel 750 years before Jesus. And he's going to talk about the true God. Who is like the true God? Of course, the answer to that, very simple, I'll give it to you right now, is that nobody's like the true God because there's only one God. And so let's worship that God, not all the other gods. So it was a common name. The name Micah was a common name in that time. And, and so when people say, well, this is the prophecy of Micah, if you're a Christian today, you might say, oh, that's one of the biblical prophets. But in that day, you'd say, this is the prophecy of Micah. We say, well, is it, is it Micah uh, who lives down the street from me or Micah who's my bus driver's kid or Micah? Micah was all over the place, right? But there is meaning to the name. So Micah lives in a place called Morasheth. Morasheth. You have no clue where Morasheth is, and I don't really know. I don't know that I've ever been to Morasheth. But that, the place where Micah is prophesying from is important. In, in the ancient world, you would build, uh, the, the king or whoever would build their, their main city, their fortress city, as a place where the king could live and all the important people and the place from which you then rule the rest of your empire. 
That's what Jerusalem started out as, and that's in some sense uh, what Jerusalem still is. How many of you have been to Jerusalem? I'm sure some of you have been. Lots of us have been to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built at the top of a hill with a big wall around it. Now the wall has changed many, many times over the centuries, but Jerusalem was built as the fortress city. That's where you put the king, the important people, that's where you keep all the money. Everything important is in Jerusalem. Well, in order to protect Jerusalem, you would build a, a ring of towns, little towns all the way around Jerusalem, a little ways out, so that you could put some of your soldiers out there and some of the people who grow your food and whatnot, and that's important too, but one of the reasons you put them out there is so that when some other empire attacks you, they have to come through those little towns first. They're the first line of defense. And that's what Morasheth was. It was a defense city built around the perimeter of Jerusalem in order to protect Jerusalem. Now think about the psychology of that. If you're from one of those little towns on the outpost, you know that you are not the most significant person in the empire, that your town is not the most significant town in the empire. You are built as a sacrificial lamb. That's why you exist. And that may have something to do with the attitude that Micah has about all those folks that are sitting there safe and sound and fat and dumb and happy in Jerusalem. Now, there's a lot more going on than that, but, the, but this is part of what's going on in the psychology of Micah. Micah uses a lot of puns that exist in the Hebrew. We'll talk about those, some of those. Micah is very, very spiritually attuned to the spiritual health, or in this case, the spiritual dis-ease of the people of Israel, of the nation of Israel. And he identifies with the suffering of the people in very profound ways. That's true of all the prophets, by the way. They look not just at what's going on with the king or with the rich and powerful and important priests in the temple or the politicians or the wealthy merchants and landowners. All the prophets look at the little people, the average people, and see what's going on with them. And they make judgments about the spiritual health of the nation based on what's going on with the average people. Now, Micah prophesied, I've been talking about the fact that Micah existed and prophesied 750 years before Jesus. How do we know that? Well, Micah mentions Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah, three kings of Israel, and we have a pretty good idea of when they ruled. They ruled from about 750 to about 687 before Jesus, okay? 750 years, that's a long, long time. Right? What, what's the history of this country? It's now 2022, uh, and, and the first Western, white Western European settlers uh, started coming over in the early 1600s, right? So about our country, more or less, if you want to trace the white European uh, history of it, uh, goes back about 400 years, a little more than that. The, the, that was from the English side of the world, right? From the Spanish side of the world, the explorers were here a little bit before that, but not much. 450 years, okay? You got to go 300 more years before you get back to the time of Micah. Now, what was going on in Israel? 750 years and 700 years before Jesus. What was going on is that the Assyrian Empire, huge, powerful, strong, expansionist empire, the Assyrian Empire was on the move and they were coming down from the north and from the northeast, okay? 
Those of you who've been to Israel maybe have this, this geography in your head a little bit better, but Israel is a tiny little nation tucked over against the Mediterranean Sea. And to the north, you have modern-day Lebanon. To the northeast and to the east, you have uh, Syria. And then you have Jordan. All of that area of modern-day Lebanon and Syria and Jordan was Assyria. And the Assyrian Empire was huge, it was powerful, and it was coming down through the northern part of what we think of as modern-day Israel, and it was wiping it out. In the year 727, the northern kingdom of Israel would be obliterated. Now, many of you have been studying for years, and you remember that Israel was 12 tribes of people that were taken out of Egypt and wandered in the wilderness for a while and then came into the Holy Land, so to speak, into the land of Canaan in about the year 1300 maybe before Jesus. And then they existed as 12 tribes that sometimes got along with each other but other times did not. And it finally came to a head and they decided to have a king who was named Saul and Saul was a pretty weak and effective ruler and so David became the king, and David united those 12 tribes together, much like uniting the 13 colonies that originally comprised the United States of America. And under David, the nation actually became one nation. And under Solomon, it stayed that way. But then after Solomon, things began to get dicey. All the tribes started fighting with each other again. And the, the, the kingdom ultimately ended up divided into a northern part and then the southern part. Jerusalem's in the southern part. Well, the northern kingdom was headquartered in, in what the region called Samaria. And the northern kingdom was falling apart. Micah lived close to Jerusalem. Micah was in the southern kingdom, but Micah could read the tea leaves. Micah could look at what was going on in the northern kingdom and saw that once the northern kingdom fell, that the next kingdom to fall would be the southern kingdom, would be Judah, the heart of Israel, where Jerusalem was. And so the whole nation lived in fear, and they were trying to find a way to survive and continue on. But that's the context in which Micah is prophesying. That's the context, actually, of a lot of the Old Testament prophets, either during the fall of the northern kingdom or finally the fall of the southern kingdom. Now, what was the situation? What was the, the, the social situation in Israel at this time? We're going to see evidence of all of this as we get into the text of Micah. Well, there are several key factors that, that the prophets talk about, Micah being one of them, of course. There were wealthy landowners who controlled most of the land in Israel, and they exploited the poor people for the sake of their own gain. They kept their wages very low. Uh, they had very substandard uh, ways of living. And, and the, the, the vast majority of people lived uh, at or below a poverty level. They just barely got through. Uh, and the wealthy kept getting wealthier. The rich kept getting richer. And Micah saw that as a problem. Women and children were often evicted from their homes. Notice I said women and children right? This is a time in society when it is the man who controls most things. Uh, if a woman loses her husband, she loses access to, to a way to provide for herself and for her children. And so there's a lot of concern in the Old Testament prophets about the widows, especially the widows and the orphans. Once you lost your dad, you were considered in some ways to be an orphan. And so those folks were often just put out on the street. Political leaders in Jerusalem itself, political leaders, 
sucked out all the wealth of the nation around them so that they can continue building big buildings in Jerusalem and continue consolidating their power. The courts were corrupt. The court system was corrupt. And the religious system had become corrupt, especially in the northern part, but, but also happening in the southern part. The people of Israel, the 12 tribes who had been called together by the voice of God through the ministry of Moses and, and taught how to worship the one true God, over the centuries they had given up on that one true God and they had accepted the gods of the pagan nations around them. Many gods that were not true gods according to the Jewish belief and according to Christian belief, of course. And so the whole nation in every aspect was corrupt and it was falling apart. The reason, the reason that the prophets believed, Micah being one of them, that the, the reason they believed the nation was falling apart is because they had forsaken, they had jilted, they had, they had quit their relationship with the one true God who was the one who had given them the blessing of being a nation in the first place and by whose following his law, they actually experienced strength and cohesiveness and unity as a people. And the word of all of the prophets is asking people to return to this true God and the way of life that this true God had taught them. Does that all make sense to you? Now, if you feel or if you hear or if you sense any kind of modern day parallels, you're not alone because actually this is a situation that exists uh, in most of human history. We live in that place where we have to struggle between the balance of, of, of doing life, living life in the right way, God's way, taking care of everyone and staying true and right and just and honest and all of that good stuff. We, we, we live between that place and the other place where it's all about us and all about our power, and all about, about taking care of our little piece of the world. That's the way I see it anyway. So we'll learn more and more about this as, as we get through Micah. Let's keep on going though. Let's read now. We're essentially going to study one chapter a week. That's the way our schedule is arranged. So we're gonna, I wanna read the rest of the chapter. And I want you to either follow along as you're reading it, but try to get a, a sense as I'm reading it. And I'll try to read it in this way for you. Try to get a sense not of what it would be like to read the book, but to hear the words of Micah as he is speaking them, okay? Hear, you peoples, all of you, listen, O earth, and all that's in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For lo, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. Then the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will burst open like wax near the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. 
All her images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. And all her idols I will lay waste. For as the wages of a prostitute she gathered them, and as the wages of a prostitute they shall again be used. For this I will lament and wail. I will go barefoot and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable. It has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all in Bethleafra. Roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shafir, in nakedness and shame. The inhabitants of Zanan do not come forth. Bethazel is wailing and shall remove its support from you. For the inhabitants of Meroth wait anxiously for good, yet disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish, it was the beginning of sin to daughter Zion, for in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore you shall give parting gifts to Morasheth Gath. The houses of Akzib shall be a deception to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror upon you. Inhabitants of Marashah, the glory of Israel shall come to Adulam. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for your pampered children. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they have gone from you into exile. You get the sense of the pathos, the passion, the energy, the frustration, the fear, the righteous anger that is coming out of Micah. Now remember... We understand that Micah is speaking God's word. Micah is telling us a message from the Lord. So let's start with it from that perspective. Hear, listen, listen to what God has to say. That's one of the fundamental problems that you and I have as people, that people of ancient Israel had, that we still have today, is that we do not listen to the truth. We want to listen to half-truth. We want to pay attention to truth that makes sense for organizing the world way, the way we want it, but we don't like to listen to anything that might challenge us. Listen, listen, listen. Listen to God. Not just listen those who want to listen to me, but the whole world needs to listen to God. There are three major sections of this book of Isaiah, of Micah, of three major uh, portions of it, and they all begin with that phrase, hear, listen, pay attention. God has a complaint. God is going to show up. You notice that language? The Lord is coming out of his place. This is not a God is coming down to cuddle us and to comfort us, and to make us feel happy about everything. That's not Micah's message. Not at the beginning, anyway. The beginning of Micah's message is, folks, we've messed up, and God is coming. God is coming. And God is not happy. God is not pleased. We've messed up. That's a word that we don't like to hear, right? People love it when I show up and say, it's okay. God loves you, everything's going to be all right. People don't like it when I have to say, and I don't like it when I have it said to me. You know what, you've messed up. And there's going to be 
consequence for that. That's part of the message of the Old Testament prophets. That's not the only message of Scripture, of course, right? Ultimately, we get to the words of Isaiah, comfort my people, cry tenderly to her that her warfare has ended because the Savior has come. But let's understand that that's not the only message of Scripture. Micah's message is that all of Israel, not just the northern kingdom, but the southern kingdom as well, has prostituted itself. I know that's strong language. We don't, lots of people think we shouldn't even say that word in church. But I'm willing to say any word in church that the Bible says. And that's one of the words, prostitute. It's a strong word because it's a big problem. Israel has forsaken its holy covenant relationship with the one true God and gone to other gods, right? God is coming. This is an announcement that God is coming. God is going to come to the high places. The high places are where you, where you build the temples, right? Go back to very, very ancient way of thinking and how do you get close to God? You gotta go up on a mountain because that's the closest place you can get to touch the heavens. And so that's where you worship God, is on the highest place you possibly can. God is coming and the first place he's gonna show up is on the mountain, like wax melting, like water gushing down a steep place, right? You get a lot of the, 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 the strength, of the, the, the beauty of that, the powerful, scary beauty of all of that, right? God is coming not to rescue, not initially. God is coming to judge. God is coming to deal with Israel's sin. And then Micah mentions the two chief sinners as cities, Samaria and Jerusalem. Where have you heard the term Samaria, by the way? What were people from Samaria called? Samaritans, yes, yes. You've heard the story of the Good Samaritan. We got the Good Samaritan right over there in the window, right? Uh, we know that he wore a green robe and a brown thing on it. And no, <laughs> that's just how we have him pictured, of course, right? Okay, Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom. That's where there's, the, there's, a, there's a place of worship in Samaria. That's the capital of the northern kingdom. Jerusalem is the capital of the southern kingdom. The people in the south considered the people in the north to be the true heretics, the true apostates, the ones who had truly prostituted themselves with other gods, other religions, other political systems, other rulers, right? But all the prophets would look at Jerusalem itself and say, you've done the same thing. So Samaria and Jerusalem, you are the problem. You have worshiped images, you have gone off to images. Let's say just a quick word about the images and about the idols, right? You and I look at, at the world and say, well, of course God is not present in this little statue of a bull or of a lion or of an eagle or of a golden calf. That's certainly not God. And that's really not what ancient people thought either. They didn't, they didn't look at that little statue and say, this is where God is. They looked at that statue, though, and they thought this is a representation of one of the many gods. They worshipped many gods in many different ways, and they knew nothing about the God of Yahweh. And not just the God who is named Yahweh, but the, but the truth about this God and how he made us to live. The people had, had given up. They had worshiped other things. They had looked to other things to bring them meaning and truth in life, other things to follow. And so Micah is going to grieve. He wails, he laments, he strips himself down naked. He's full of lamentation and mourning. He's even going to make himself bald, perhaps. 
That's what he says to the people. Cut off all your hair. Make yourself as bald as the eagle. Hair, by the way, is an interesting theological thing. I'm fascinated by it. I don't have any of it anymore, so I'm even more fascinated by it, right? But it, it used to be considered that long, flowing, beautiful hair in men and women, right? Or maybe I should say women and men, uh, was a sign of God's blessing, right? Why? Well, because most of us have most of our hair when we're young. When you get old, you start to lose your hair. That's true of some of us, okay? When I got old, meaning 19, I started to lose my hair, <laughs> right? The hair is a symbol of virility and prosperity and youth and strength and power, okay? If you lose your hair, even in today's world, right? Helen was just talking with a friend last night who's just gone through a lot of cancer treatments and she's completely bald now, right? Hair is still an important thing to a lot of people. Um, that, you have that going on here. What's happening? Micah, Micah is at one and the same time angry and also incredibly sad and depressed. And in a way, Micah represents and, and embodies the way God himself feels. You, you see God represented this way. God is at one and the same time incredibly angry that these people who knew better, who had it good, whom he had loved, whom he had rescued, whom he had saved, whom he had revealed himself to, these people that, that he had protected and guided and led, these people that, that knew the way to have blessing and prosperity in their lives, they had given it all up. And that made him incredibly angry and at the same time incredibly sad. Why? Because God loved them, right? We all know what it's like for someone who we love to hurt us, to reject us, to turn away from us, whatever it is, to hurt us. That's part of the human experience, is to be hurt by those we love and to hurt those we love. And that's what Micah senses as Israel has gone away from worship of the one true God. And so he is going to lament. He is going to wail. He's going to express the sadness that is in him. And then Micah talks about what's going to happen. There's a whole lot of cities with names that are difficult to pronounce. You don't need to worry a lot about the detail of all of that, right? Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shafir, in nakedness and shame. The inhabitants of Zanan do not come forth. Bethazel is wailing. That's just a long list of little cities and towns and settlements and all of the suffering and the travail that they're going to go through, that they already are going through, because they have forsaken the way of the Lord. And so, Micah begins his conversation with us about the spiritual source of all of the military, economic, social problems that Israel is facing. Not just as a nation, but as individuals, right? A nation is made up of individual people. It's one thing to talk about a whole nation, but it is individual decisions by thousands or tens of thousands or even tens or hundreds of millions of people that make up what goes on in a nation. And so Micah cuts into us individually, personally, he cuts into us individ uh, corporately as one whole. And this is not just Micah uh, who's really upset and having a bad day. <laughs> this is Micah who we believe listened acutely, sensitively, to the word of God, who looked at the situation around him 
and saw the deep, uh, the deep things that were going on, the deep trends, the habits, the patterns, the sources of what was going on in life, and then said that to the people. That's one of the reasons that I tend to believe what the prophets had to say, because whatever they had to say was usually not good news. It was bad news to the people. Hi, we're in trouble, and we're in trouble because of what we've done. Nobody wants to bear that news. Nobody wants to be the sharer of bad tidings. Eventually, they will share good tidings, but most people, if you walk in and say, hi, you've messed up, we're in trouble, they are not going to listen to anything else you have to say. But the prophets did that because that's the word that the Lord gave to them. Okay, let me stop there. Let me stop there. Do you have thoughts? Do you have questions? Do you have feelings that are coming out of all of this? Okay, you're very welcome to come down to this microphone. It itself does not have COVID, so it's safe. You can come do that, <laughs> right? Ask your questions, make your comments. This is a lot to start laying on you, but over the next few weeks, it's all going to, to come into sharper focus and make more sense. So, good. Yeah, so the question is, I, when we think of Israel, we think of Israel as Jews, right? Yes, of course. Uh, but how is it that in, in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and Israel and Judah, there were lots of Jews that were, that were worshiping other gods, worshiping other idols, okay? Excellent question. Um, the people of Israel, think of this long history, right? The 12 tribes, the 12 families are brought out, extended families. We don't really know how many people, you know, several thousand at least, maybe tens of thousands, uh, came out, wandered in the wilderness, eventually came into the land of Canaan, and then kind of spread out uh, all over the Holy Land, what we would think of as the Holy Land. And uh, they, they worshiped God. Uh, they learned about God. They had their own prophets, their own judges, and then their own kings, of course, uh, their own priests, their own system of, of teaching faith in this Yahweh and continuing to listen to God and learn from God. And that's who the Jewish people became. At the same time, over hundreds of years, all of those people who had, who had been brought out of Egyptian slavery all of those people lived and worked among other people, okay? You get a little bit of sense in the way the story is told in the Old Testament that when uh, Joshua, after Moses died, okay, when Joshua took over as the great general and leader of Israel and brought the people across the Jordan River from the east into the west, that they simply wiped out and completely replaced all of the local inhabitants. That's not actually what happened, and there's plenty of evidence for that actually in the, the scriptures themselves. Sometimes the, the people moved in, and it happened over a period of years. They moved into the communities, built their own cities, their own towns, or usually started living in existing cities and towns. Sometimes they killed some of the people that existed there already as they fought over the territory, but most of the time they came in and started simply living there. And so over time, you've, you've got, like you have in America today, like you have in most countries, frankly, you have people from lots of different religious backgrounds, different biographical, historical, uh, uh, biological backgrounds, if you will. And, and so the big challenge for the people of these original 12 tribes was how to maintain their unique identity and relationship with God while they still lived among other people. And what happened was, especially in the, the northern kingdom, 
okay, above Jerusalem, centered in Samaria, which is below Nazareth. Samaria, uh, the center of the, the northern empire was below Nazareth where Jesus was from, okay, it was between Nazareth and Jerusalem. The people of that region began to intermarry a lot with non-Jewish people. And even if they weren't intermarrying, they were accommodating their faith in this one true God with the other religious practices. Uh, the, primarily, the religious practice of, of the worship of Baal, Baal, we usually say in our English way of saying it, but Baal would be the way you'd probably say that, or, or Asherah, the Asherim, the male god and the female god uh, that was so popular of the Assyrian Empire. And in, in all of that worship, they, they polluted, they corrupted, they prostituted this one true faith in Yahweh. And the practice, not just the faith, not just the, you know, worshiping in the temple or worshiping in the synagogue, but, but, but living according to the practices that were taught initially in the, in the Ten Commandments. And so by the time we get to Micah, let's say, let's just pick the year 750 as the, as, the, as the place to peg that. By the time we get to 750, it is, you have a situation where most of the Jews, or at least a significant number of the Jews, are not really all that Jewish anymore. They're more pagan than they are Jewish. Uh, and, and in the southern kingdom, you have the same situation, but because Jerusalem is where uh, is, is really the, the, the biggest city, the most powerful city. Um, you have maybe a little bit more fidelity to the, the ancient religion that was taught through Abraham and then, of course, through Moses and, and following down through Moses. And so what the prophets saw uh, and what they talked about continuously was, was that the people who had descended from these original 12 tribes should return to that faith and faithfulness in, in the way they live their lives. They should return to that faith in the one true God. But it's pretty tough to do, uh, especially if you have intermarried. That's a, a, if you've studied the Bible before, you, Old Testament especially, you know that intermarriage is a big problem. Uh, the, the prophets continually say, you know, don't, don't intermarry with somebody of non-Jewish faith. You can only marry another Jew, right? Now, in our context, we look at that and say, well, yeah, but we let Presbyterians marry Baptists and Catholics can marry, you know. Uh, and we even talk in this country today, and, and, and in many ways rightfully so. I don't mean to completely disregard that, but, you know, we think, well, what's the big deal if a Christian marries a Jew or, or um, you know, if, if a, a Muslim marries an atheist or whatever? What's the big deal about that? Well, here's the big deal. The big deal is that our first call is to remain uh, f um, in fidelity to, to remain uh, uh, loyal to who God truly is. And everything else is subordinate to that. Does that make sense to you? If it's not, then ultimately you pollute and you corrupt what your true belief is and what your true practice in life is. That, of course, leads us into lots of conversations about, well, you know, Christians are just as bad as everybody else. Well, in some ways, that's true. Uh, and the prophets certainly wouldn't be happy with that either. But it begins in the individual person. The whole way of living life successfully begins with what your true belief and practice is. 
And I'm adding that word and practice because this is not just about what you say you believe. You know, we've just now come through the Christmas season when lots of people say they believe in Jesus and once a year for one hour they spend some time with him. What's that about? You don't believe in Jesus. You, you believe that once a year for one hour you should go to church and then your life insurance policy is paid up. That's what that is. Let's just be honest about that, okay? Uh, now, that's, that's not you guys. You're here. Wednesday morning, January 5th, when everybody else has gone back to the real world, you're still here remaining faithful and true to your one true God. If you don't do that, though, then everything else in life falls apart. So the situation in Israel, even, even as the people were hearing from God, <laughs> right? Even as they were, they were hearing from God, the one true God about who he was and about his love and about the true life that you can have in following his way, as they are learning that, they're worshiping other gods. That's the story. This we need to take you to Charlton Heston up on the mountain, right? Moses is up on the mountain, and he comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, with the Ten basic rules for how we can have a successful, beautiful, wonderful life that we're meant to have, and the people have already started worshiping other gods. They've made their golden calf. That's a, that is a continual spiritual issue in all of us. And so when you talk about the nation of Israel existing in this period of history, yes, that, they were the dominant religion, the dominant culture, the dominant faith, but they were falling apart at the seams over the years. And that was easy to understand because, um, and easy to observe because you've got the Assyrian Empire that is moving in and bringing in all their people. They're the ones with the power and the wealth. Or later on you have the Babylonian Empire, you have the Persian Empire, and it's hard for the Jews to hold on and maintain their faith in the one true God. And that story continues for the Jews, right? After, after the Babylonian uh, empire comes and wipes out Jerusalem and takes some of the people away, and then they're eventually allowed to come back about 350 years before Jesus, and they recreate the nation of Israel. Still, they're occupied by Rome. And then later, Rome will wipe them out, and the Jews disperse all over the world. And they are the one, they are the one religious group national religious group from that period of history that still have a national identity. You don't have the nation of the Assyrians anymore. Yes, you have the nation of Syria, but it's not a religiously structured nation. You don't have the Hittite uh, empire anymore. You don't have any other group of people other than the Jews who have, who have fought and struggled and not always succeeded, but they've fought and struggled to maintain faithful to the one true God. And then you have then you have Jesus and the people who believe that Jesus was the Messiah and who believe that with their faith in Jesus and following Jesus, they have become the new Israel and try to stay faithful to their God. And that's us. Does that make sense? Does that put it all in a bigger context for you? Yeah. I mean, this, this is, you know, you need to study for several more years under people who really know what they're talking about, not me, to get all this really deeply ingrained into you. Um, because we're talking about hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of years of history and complicated history. But that's the, the essential outlines of that story. Okay, so we're about 2,700 years out, and the, the Micahs were still getting the same message. We need to learn how to listen, 
How do you listen? What do you listen and how do you do it? Why aren't we getting it? We're still doing the same things over and over and over again. And all these beautiful ladies here with all their beautiful hair, we don't want to go cut our hair off, right? You know, I don't have enough left anyway. Yeah. But, you know, so what are we doing wrong? I mean, I think the question is, how do we learn to listen? How do we learn to listen? What do we do? I don't know. There yeah. it is. Yeah, okay, good question. Very, very good question. I have to step up there to hear you because the way that we have the mics going, it's all the sounds going that way instead of this way. We're working on that, by the way. Um, yeah, very good question. If the big issue is how do we listen and how do we hear? How do we listen to the true God? How do we actually begin to hear the true God and then act in the way the true God would have us act, right? There, there, there's the $64 million question. 64,000 is meaningless anymore. It now needs to be $64 million question. What's that? Trillion, trillion, trillion. yeah. What's a trillion or two here or there, right? Um, there is the question. Let me answer it in this way. Um, number one, uh, and, and this, this is an answer not just from Micah, it's an answer that I think comes from the whole of Scripture and especially from Jesus, right? The way we listen to God is, number one, to decide we want to listen to God. And then to listen to the way that, in the ways that God has given us to hear and to listen to the truth that God has given us to learn. For Christians, that truth is expressed supremely, primarily, uniquely, authoritatively in the scriptures. Okay? So true Christians never get away from consistent, uh, serious engagement with the scriptures. This is preaching to the choir because that's what you're doing when you come here and when you spend your time studying the Bible. Okay, studying the Bible is not for the sake of just learning the content of the Bible, though. It's important to learn what the Bible says and how it says it. But then you have to hold up that truth you learn from Scripture over against the life you are living and the life we are living. And we have to look at what does Scripture really say. And, and Micah's a phenomenal example of that. I'm glad we're in Micah. It's easy to quote, right? Uh, later on, uh, Micah is going to say, look, you guys in Jerusalem, you guys in Samaria, you have all your sacrifice of bulls and you burn all this oil and you do all this stuff and you think that's what makes you great people listening to God. No. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? It's a beautiful summary of the kind of life that we live if we are listening and actually hearing and paying attention to God himself, is that we are going to live righteously. Now, living righteously is not about saying, I go to church every Sunday. In a sense, God could care less if you go to church every Sunday. God cares more about what you do the with the rest of your life. And going to church is to help make sure that the rest of your life is going to be lived the correct way. That's what church is about. And that's why we're so big on teaching the truth of the scriptures, not the truth that Jesus is Lord and you better say that or else you will be fried once you die. No, but the truth about Jesus loves you, God loves you, he forgives you, he teaches you the way to live in such a way 
that the orphans are not neglected, that the widows are not taken advantage of, that the poor don't stay poor, that the people who are, who are um, raped and pillaged and destroyed by the few powerful folks at the top, that that doesn't happen anymore. We're talking about a righteous, just society. And where that society exists, then you have people who are actually living the way that God wants us to live. And where those truths exist in your life, that means you're living the way God wants you to live and you're actually listening. That's one of the reasons that Christians get together so often. And one of the things we're meant to do when we get together is to say to each other, how are you doing with your life? And if you say to me, you know, um, um, I did a business deal yesterday and I managed to steal uh, 100,000 bucks from this poor little old widow down the street who didn't know the difference in, in how I was buying her house. Or um, whatever example you want. I'll just give you that one example because that would be something that would come from out of the time of Micah and comes from out of our own time. Think about the, about the trillions of dollars that was stolen from people in the great uh, economic bust of 2008, right? When, when everything in the system was skewed and, and the whole economic system in our country fell apart. That is not righteousness. That is not justice. Think about an economic system that was based on, on human chattel slavery in this country 150 years ago. That's not righteousness. That's not justice and the whole country suffers because of it. Those are just a few simple examples. Back to the question, how do we listen? We listen by deciding that we're going to. We listen by opening ourselves to the correcting and judging nature of what God would say to us. You know, Ruth, you've messed up, and that needs to change. And then Ruth looks back at me and says, you've messed up too, Jack. And Jack says, you're exactly right. How are we going to do better, right? That's part of what Christian life is about. That's why you're in your small groups, is to challenge each other, to encourage each other, to help each other look at where we're blind to the injustice that we are part of, and then strengthen us to live in just ways, righteous ways, holy ways, full of mercy, full of love for everybody. Does that help? I could talk for another 22 hours on that topic too, but I won't. <laughs> okay, we got to stop because I have unjustly stolen 11 minutes of your time from our agreed time together. Talk about these things as you get together, okay? And one last thing. This isn't really about the lesson, but tomorrow is Three Kings Day, Epiphany. Oh, that's right, January and, 6th. Um, when I was growing up, what it meant was it's time to take down the Christmas trees and <laughs> yes. all the decorations. <clears throat> but when I first entered the nursing profession, I went into a Catholic university run by the nuns of God's geese, you know, mm -hmm. and they told me what Three Kings was. They were a lot of people of Polish descent, hmm. and they celebrated it by making this beautiful ringed, uh, crowned piece of cake. Mm -hmm. And they celebrated it as God's gift. And you ate that cake, and inside was a tiny picture, uh, figure of Christ. Oh, very cool. And so it gave me a different feeling about Christmas. Christmas didn't end. That's uh, exactly until, right. And tomorrow is a special day to think yeah. back about 
the three kings were Gentiles. Yep. God was for everyone. God is for everyone, yes. I'm all for any celebration that involves cake. <laughs> so let me pray us out of here. God, thanks for being with us today. Continue to reveal yourself to us and build within us the will to listen, to learn, to see, and then to live our lives in ways that reflect our worship of you and you alone, in ways that bring about true justice, true righteousness, true mercifulness, true goodness and kindness for all your people. In Jesus we pray that. Amen. God bless you all.